0: Five people, including two suspected attackers, were found dead in a kosher grocery store following a standoff with police that lasted several hours. A police officer was also shot dead after trying to intervene. The mayor of Jersey City said a review of CCTV footage from the area shows the store was deliberately targeted. The attackers arrived at the scene in a stolen van before firing on shoppers and police with long guns. Emergency services and the bomb squad were called to the area and local schools were put on lockdown. Two other police officers suffered minor injuries. I'm Sarah Walton in New York. Russia says it will file lawsuits with the Court of Arbitration for Sport to challenge the wide-ranging sanctions imposed by the World Anti-Doping Agency. On Monday, the agency decided to endorse a four-year global sports ban on Russia for non-compliance with doping rules and the manipulation of data. Ross Cullen has more. The World Anti-Doping Agency's decision to strip Russia of the right to compete under the Russian flag in next year's Olympics in Tokyo and other world tournaments over the next four years was not a major surprise to Moscow, but it's still spoken out combatively, with the Speaker of the Upper House the latest politician to condemn the ruling. Valentina Matvienko said, We cannot accept this decision. We must fight our corner in court and prove our case. She added that sports must be clear of doping and of politics. Meanwhile, the Russian boxing team has become the first to announce its abstention from next year's Olympics over the WADA ruling, saying it's unwilling to compete in the Olympics without the Russian flag. Ross Cullen, Moscow. Greta Thunberg has become this year's Time magazine's Person of the Year. The magazine has held this tradition ever since the 1920s, but it's the first time they've crowned a teenager, making the 16-year-old Swedish climate change activist the youngest person ever to be named. Gillian Wolf reports. Thunberg has become a force to be reckoned with. Her signature no-nonsense style of speaking out against climate change has made her a symbol for youth across the world. To reduce her carbon footprint, the young activist sailed on a zero-emission boat to the U.S. in August to speak at the United Nations Climate Action Summit in New York. It's there where she scorned world leaders on their inaction. Her stern words, how dare you, reverberating around the world. Her actions also putting her in the running for this year's Nobel Peace Prize, making her one of the youngest people ever to be nominated for that as well. U.S. President Donald Trump, Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the Hong Kong protesters, and the anonymous whistleblower who triggered Mr. Trump's impeachment inquiry were all in the running to become this year's Time Magazine's Person of the Year. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. This is a test of the emergency podcast system, activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacey Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife and mom, righteously American.
1: Welcome. Hey, welcome to the program today. All right, so great news. Starting to show off with some fantastic news today. We're going to talk about, first of all, I I know you probably heard Greta Thunberg has been named Person of the Year for Time Magazine. That is a ludicrous bit of farcical behavior on their part. We're going to talk about why that's so crazy. Uh, We are also going to be here um, discussing the climate change fears of this teen uh, woman, uh, young woman, that they're baseless, based on empirical evidence. So we're going to dive into that. And you're going to be able to find that story over at Uh Huge thanks to people who are right over there now, just checking out the the show, checking out the content there. Share the Stacyonthewright.com website. That's, that's my Christmas request. Um, share it. Share the show. And also... Check out our Patreon account. If you want to support us there, we'd be really happy with that. Okay, so we're going to discuss that. But we're going to start off with the Pentagon suspending flight training for Saudi students after the Navy uh, Naval Base shooting at Pensacola Air Station. So they're undergoing a broad review of their training of international service members. So they currently have 852 Saudi students who are being trained there. They will be paused during the review. They will not be training And the stand down will last for the duration of the review. The Saudi Arabian government is reportedly supportive of the decision. President Trump said last week he'd spoken with the Saudi king who expressed his sincere condolences following the shooting. So one of the things that I'm really excited about with this story is that it's action on the part of President Trump and the Pentagon to basically acknowledge that there's a problem with the flight training program. And instead of just continuing to sweep it under the rug or act as if it's not real, they're going to take the extraordinary measure of pausing the training. This is what they should do. This, this is not, uh, this, this, they say it's an extraordinary measure, but is it? If you have people that you're training how to fly, killing you, do you say, well, it would be a little too extreme to pause their training. Maybe we should just let them keep going. Or do you say, you know what? This looks bad. Let's go ahead and do something about this. So that's what they're doing. And I got to tell you, they're right. They're utterly correct. I'm excited about it. I'm glad they're doing it. I can't wait to see what their investigation turns up. Uh, so the other big, big story um, there was a shooting up in um, New Jersey and the people there uh, it's obvious like no joke that it was an anti-Semitic attack and um, what they're looking at is that they're going to I guess uh, you know he's a black Hebrew Israelite um, published anti-Semitic anti-police posts. He targeted the, the Jewish supermarket in order to do his attack and um I just wonder, will we find out later that there were some warning signs that people knew that this guy was deranged and they just didn't say anything or they didn't do anything about it? Um, The Jersey City shooting, he actually, in addition to anti-Semitic things, he published anti-police posts. Uh, He was actually in a prolonged firefight in Jersey City, New Jersey. Six people died, including one police officer. And so this is the kind of stuff that we see in the movies, only the good guys don't die. Well, the reality is when the police get in a shootout, it is dangerous and it could end up with our officers losing their lives. So they also found the investigators a a manifesto style note inside of his van, the shooter's van. The law enforcement official and another official familiar with the case are reporting this information. Uh, The document was brief, but rambling, suggested no clear motive. Uh, They also found a live pipe bomb inside the vehicle. And there's uh, other attackers who were killed in the firefight. None of the three victims inside the store have been publicly named, but multiple people connected to the Jewish community in Jersey City have identified two of them um, as the market owner and his wife. And they were 33 years old and 24 years old. Surveillance footage shows the market was actually targeted. They, um, They were looking for a kosher supermarket. They wanted to kill Jewish people. They stopped in front of the door there, calmly opened it, and they had two long rifles with them. And after one of the attackers left the van, they walked past others on the street and aimed at people inside the kosher market. So they weren't just looking for any random person to shoot. They wanted to shoot Jewish people in the kosher market. It didn't begin with the gunfire between the police officers and and perpetrators and then move into the store. It actually started inside the store where the perpetrators were trying to gun down Jewish people. Um, So they actually shot. Well, and so the two assailants are uh, a man and a woman. And they were in a U-Haul van in a cemetery near the Kosher Market because the van had been linked to a homicide over the weekend. And video surveillance footage shows the assailant shooting the detective and then driving away, ending up in front of the kosher market where they park and enter the store with the guns blazing. And then for much of at least the next hour, residents nearby and blocks away could hear rapid bursts of gunfire coming from the area around the market. And the two people who were killed were members of the Hasidic community there. So it's it's a very sad story. Um we'll We'll find out lots more about the assailants. and of course, they're now combing their their social media posts and all of that. And we'll see what's 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 what? We'll learn more. Um, and that's about it. that that's it's a depressing story. It's sad and it, it just makes you you just feel kind of powerless when you hear stories like this because they were inside the market and they didn't even have time to defend themselves. They literally just, in the market working, you look up and someone's in there shooting. Um, and it just makes you wonder what, the, of course, the human heart, wicked, depraved. Um, so just just so sad Two young people snuffed out like that, um, when they were so young. So, uh, so anyway, um, we, we're going to move on from there. And now I know that there's, How can I say this nicely? There's a lot of triggering, triggered. People are triggered because the president was at a rally last night and he was in rare form. Now, I have to show something. Actually, I don't have it in here. I won't be able to show it to you this show. I bought a card and it's a President Trump and Melania Trump Christmas card. And it, well, it plays a recording of the president at one of his rally speeches talking about how we say Christmas and we worship God and it's fantastic. I'll have to let you hear the audio of that and another show. Um, since we're not doing commercials anymore, you, I can't just jump up and run and go get it. So now let's move on to uh, the, the different items we have going on. And I told you already about the firehouse strategies, the quarterly battle, battleground polling series that they do in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. I told you about that. And I told you a little bit about how the 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 president, he's really just moving forward. Like that's why they refuse to participate in the impeachment hearings because the president is moving forward with his agenda and what he has to do for us. He's not going to waste time participating in the impeachment debacle, not until it moves to the Senate. Um, so the senators who are um, actually making all of this happen, they um, Who really, and when I say making it happen, when the impeachment inquiry moves over to the Senate, there will be seven senators who will kind of hold the fate of the president in their hand. And uh, those seven senators, I'm going to give them to you here right now, it's, it's just so, so ridiculous that we even have to do this. But the seven U.S. senators are four Republicans and three Democrats, and they could dramatically affect the outcome of the 45th president's term in office. Specifically, um, the senators would affect the outcome not merely by their numbers, even though the president has a significant advantage in that regard. They could affect it because of the momentum they could create with other senators depending on the way that they vote. So it's four Republicans and three Democrats. And all of the lawmakers except Senator Susan Collins from Maine. And um, she's the only one who comes from a state that didn't go for Trump. The rest of them... The rest of the senators are from states that voted for President Trump in 2016. So they really have, they have actual currency on the line. If they go against the president on impeachment, they could see a backlash at the polls when they're up for re-election. So uh, what... The current wisdom is, is that you would actually have to see them like basically smarting from something that the president said or did to them or having like a, a raw nerve of some sort against something that's happened in order for them to actually vote against him. And the four Republicans in question are Senator Mitt Romney, who is a sore loser and an all around horrible senator, uh, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski and Ben Sass. Ben Sass, who has of late become a bit of a never Trumper, which is so Concerning to me. Like, what happened to Ben Sass? Do you guys remember when he was just like all the best clips, all the best stuff? And then it's like someone injected him with some anti-Trump venom, and he's just been never the same. Now, the three Democrats are Joe Manchin, he's from West Virginia, John Tester, Montana, Democrat, and Kristen Cinema, Democrat from Arizona. So the smart money on the way they may vote for President Trump or, or, you know, during the impeachment hearing in the Senate is Mitt Romney may very possibly be the GOP vote for Trump's conviction. I mean, everyone knows they don't like each other. Not a shocker. Also, there's a certain smugness and arrogant nature of, of Mitt Romney that kind of you think to yourself. Why would he vote against the president? Why would he vote against his own party? Well, because he wants to be president himself. And he doesn't see it as being out of the, order, out of the, the pale. He actually thinks, now I know you're probably, think, you, you might be sipping your coffee right now and you're thinking, don't say it, because you don't want to snort your coffee out through your nose. But I'm going to say it. Mitt Romney thinks that he will be the president. He could run and be the nominee. That's what he thinks. He doesn't think that we remember what he was like the last time, the gaffes. The inability to capitalize on a win. He, had, he won the first debate with Obama. And instead of going in for the kill, he backpedaled and eased off the gas and let Obama basically recharge and re-energize himself and come back from that. And then the next two debates were just bloodbaths with Mitt Romney up there in his sweater vest just doing nothing. And then those of us who voted for him, what did we get back? Transactional voting, right? We got Nothing. We got four more years of Obama. That's what we got. So uh, he wants to try to revive his presidential aspirations. If he votes against the president for uh, for a conviction of the president, he's actually going to pick up a primary challenge. I, I you know what I actually think I'll go ahead and and share. I believe Mitt Romney already has a primary challenger waiting in the wings because people are not satisfied with the way he's been acting. He acts like he doesn't know he's a Republican anymore. Now, Susan Collins is a fence sitter. She is likely to vote for Trump's acquittal if her Brett Kavanaugh vote is any indication. But the Democrats will target her, corner her in in hallways, try to bully her into voting for conviction. Liberal Maine wouldn't make her pay too much of a price if she did vote for Trump's, Trump's conviction. But she knows how to stand up to leftist pressure. And odds are she really will stay with the GOP on this because she goes by what the law says. And so far, the Democrats have been unable to show that the president has committed high crimes and misdemeanors. And so for Susan Collins, when she consults with what does the the law say and what have they presented against him, she's going to find it wanting and she's not going to vote for it. If she follows her reasoning with the Kavanaugh vote, which she did the exact same thing. She weighed everything, then wrote down all of her thoughts in a very clear and cogent manner, and presented a very non-emotional, logical presentation of this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Now, Lisa Murkowski, on the other hand, is the one that we saw uh, getting cornered by Dianne Feinstein. She's short. She's pushed around easily. She could flip. She's been very quiet. Um, it could be a sign. Her, her, her quietness could be a sign that she's preparing a defense um, to vote against him. Alaska might not take kindly to this, though. She would surely get a primary fight if she votes yes on conviction. And then there's Ben Sass, which I have to say, it's been disappointing. It really has. Um, he could go either way. It wouldn't be a surprise to see him vote against the president. He actually calls himself and says very much uh, he he touts his own legal and constitutional scholarship He's been critical of the president publicly in the media over several issues. He would rationalize the vote for conviction strictly on arcane legal reasoning. Nebraska would rebel, and he would probably be unseated over the vote. But he would, you know, kind of hold his chin up and say, I have my principles, which, you know, maybe that's all he needs. Now, the three Democrats to watch, Joe Manchin, will probably vote with the president because he votes with Trump more than some Republicans do. And West Virginia is the most... One of the most, if not the most, pro-Trump state in the entire country. And then John Tester is hard to figure. He's relatively conservative Dem. Montana is a deep red state. He bucks the trend there by even being a Democrat, voted into office. He could buck the trend by voting differently in this case. So he really is that wild card. We don't know what he's going to do. Then there's Kirsten Sinema. Now, you know, she's a hardcore radical feminist. She's a lesbian. She has a lot of that progressive street cred under her belt. She's one of the younger newly elected members, and she fancies herself to be basically her own breed. She's her own calling card. So she's probably going to vote for President Trump's conviction. She can be politically quirky. She votes with the GOP just to show people you can't figure me out. You don't know what I think or what I believe. However, those votes are probably just ones that she throws in to mix it up because she wants to cover her right flank in Arizona, which is still mainly Republican. It will take 67 votes out of 100 in the Senate to remove Trump from office. And at present, the, the, the Trump train is is pushing through. There's, there's, the, the votes aren't there. If these seven votes were to solidly go one way or another it could be a signal to the senators fellow party members that you should follow our lead. The seven of us are leaning this way or the seven of us are leaning that way. So we're leaning towards conviction or we're leaning towards leaving him alone. So we got to keep a close eye on them. Um, I, I actually feel like it's, it's to me, it's depressing that we're even having this conversation that we're wasting the taxpayers time on this, but That's what's happening. So the question is, do we do we say, oh, well, you know, let's go with the flow? No. Let us continue as Americans to pray for the president, not just for his health and well-being and for Melania and Barron and all the other Trumps, you know, so many wonderful Trumps, but for his leadership, for his peace of mind, for his health and for him to be able to serve out the remainder of his first term in office. In addition to that. For his chance of being reelected, not to be damaged by this, because he deserves an opportunity to run for office fairly and freely, just as the Democrat candidates are doing. It doesn't it's no one's fault that they're um, like not good at it. That's not a reason to impeach Donald Trump because they're not good at what they do. All right. So uh, in other news, Nancy Pelosi has been out talking more trash and she said that the impeachment has actually here's the quote. Impeachment has been going on for, quote, two and a half years, actually. (laughs) These people, they don't actually feel the compunction not to tell us the truth, which is that they're just out to unseat him because he beat Hillary. So putting a pin in that for a second. Have you been going uh, back and forth with people who are telling you that it's going to be someone else, that some other person is going to come in and swoop in and save the Democrats and and you know be the nominee? Some secret person who has a lot of name ID, which makes me think of Mark Cuban, who isn't necessarily a Democrat, but he's also not necessarily uh, a Republican. He's pretty much a uh, well, he's he's a he's conservative. He's conservative fiscally. I want to. I didn't want to. I was kind of tripping over that because I want to make sure that I'm not mischaracterizing him. He's socially liberal, fiscally conservative, which means he's a moderate. So, if he's, you know, if we believe in the whole moderate thing, uh, but he's that means he could theoretically. You know, if the Democrats are really looking for somebody who could speak coherently, has a lot of name ID, which Mark Cuban does, he's on television all the time, and not just CNBC and Fox News, he's on regular television all the time. Um, It seems to me like he could probably get some traction on the Democratic side, but would other Americans trust him and would Americans in the middle who are maybe they were Trump voters last time or they planned on being Trump voters this time because of the antics of the Democrats, would they say, oh, well, wait a minute, this is a new face. Maybe he'll reign the Democrats in and vote for him. He's a business guy, not a politician, unconventional background for entering into politics. Um, what would Americans say to that? I know I wouldn't want to vote for him because my issue is pro-life and it should be for every Christian. If it's not your top issue, it should be one of your top three issues And if Mark Cuban is socially liberal and is pro, quote, choice, end quote, then that would still rule him out, would it not? So we'll see. Um, Pelosi went on to say, I think we're not moving with speed. Was it two and a half years ago they initiated the Mueller investigation? It's not about speed. It's about urgency. One of the charges against the president of the United States, saying he was violating the oath of office by asking for government to interfere in our election, undermining the integrity of our elections, If we did not hold him accountable, he would continue to undermine our elections. Nothing less is at stake than the central point of our democracy, of a free and fair election not to be disrupted by foreign powers. What a load of, to borrow a word from Joe Biden, malarkey. Can you believe this? Just utter lunacy. Well, there it is. So um, that's her admitting that everything... That they've done, even like the Mueller investigation and the Mueller report, which showed that he didn't interfere in the election, that he didn't do that. It doesn't matter that they have a report that says, don't worry, he didn't do it. What matters to them is that they impeach him regardless. That it's just, he just has to be impeached. He has to be removed from office. This is the punishment for beating Hillary Clinton. Hmm. Very, very, very telling that she would admit that. All right, so um, last topic for today. We and we have kind of a light show because we have LifeZet TV tomorrow, and then the live stream. So we have two programs that are going to be going on. Um, And we talked about the Jersey City shooting, and so I said we were going to talk about Greta Thunberg and her 2019 Person of the Year garbage. So she's a 16-year-old climate activist. And she's been named times 2019 person of the year. They call it the power of youth and she's standing on a beach looking 12. She doesn't even look 16. She's an angry little thing. Um, And what's funny to me is that when people are talking about her being the person of the year, it seems like they would go in and research the things that she's talking about so they could either agree with her or disagree with her. So that's what we're going to do right here, right now. I have a bunch of really great information here from James DiAgresti, and he's talking about Greta's comments on the climate. So one of Greta's primary, like she makes this statement everywhere she speaks, is that she's one of the lucky ones who's not already dying from global warming. And she claims that today's emissions levels our remaining CO2 budget will be gone in less than 8.5 years. She thinks that if we exceed the so-called budget, we risk, quote, setting off irreversible chain reactions beyond human control, end quote. Now, why a 16-year-old would be our top expert on this is beyond me, but let's co- let's continue. She actually is not unusual in her beliefs for her age group. A lot of 16-year-olds and young people um, believe the same tripe, this dribble. Scott Rasmussen slash X found that 51% of U.S. voters under the age of 35 believe it's somewhat likely or very likely that the earth will become uninhabitable and humanity will be wiped out in the next 10 to 15 years. Thunberg says her fears are justified by more than 30 years of crystal clear science, but as detailed below, it is simply not true. Exactly 30 years ago in 1989, Climatologist Steven Schneider, the creator of the journal Climatic Change and one of the founding members of the UN's intergovernmental panel on climate change, told Discover Magazine that in order to reduce the risk of potentially disastrous climate change, we had to, quote, get some broad-based support to capture the public's imagination. That, of course, entails getting loads of media coverage, so we have to offer up scary scenarios, make simplified dramatic statements, and make little mention of the doubts that we might have. This double ethical bind, which we frequently find ourselves in, cannot be solved by any formula. Each of us has to decide what the right balance is between being effective and being honest. I hope that means both. So he demonstrates a willingness to tell half-truths, compromise honesty for the sake of being effective, and basically dupe people who don't know much about what he's talking about. So he's a charlatan. This is 30 years ago he outlined this plan. Now look at where we are today. In 1989, the same year that Schneider laid out this plan, and when Thunberg says the clear scientific record began, you think that's a coincidence? High-ranking UN officials and EPA scientists predicted ruinous effects from global warming unless timely actions were taken to prevent it. These included projections about plants, forests, extinctions, agriculture, flooding, rainfall, hurricanes, and human health. Comparing these forecasts to the actual outcomes or crystal clear science is actually revealing. Now, the first thing that I, in my mind, I think about when I hear these, you know, uh, flooding, rainfall, hurricanes, human health, I think about the movies they put out like 2012, which At our house, it's a favorite. We, there's nothing better. We'll be someplace like, I remember the last time we watched it, we were in a hotel at um, a basketball tournament for one of the kids. And we were in between, we had like four hours to kill. We'd had some food and we had to go back, you know, so we, these four hours and um, we're in the hotel and my son is like, we should watch a movie. I'm like, yeah, what do you want to watch? And we all turned to each other in unison and we're like, (laughs) 2012, <laughs> so we pull up the the TV in the hotel room. You know that you get the pay per view on there, and sure enough, 2012 is on there. So we, you know, you initialize a little thing so it'll charge your room. And we just piled up in the the. It was like one of those suites where you have the fold out couch and then you have the king size bed. So we pile up in the king size bed with all these teenagers, right? And we just watch this movie, and we we laugh at it and make fun of it because there are some glaring inconsistencies in the movie. But it is very entertaining. But there's a caveat to that because it can be entertaining for us as a family because we don't believe that catastrophic climate change is anthropologically motivated. In other words, human-based climate change, not a thing. And we all know, based on what Dr. Hugh Ross has taught us, that if we want to significantly impact the warming pattern that we have been in, all we have to do is replant the significant portions of the Sahara Desert that have been deforested. So the Sahara Desert is bigger than it should be because of deforestation by Africans who they travel there. They they basically cut the wood down and burn it for fuel. So you give those African nations um, that, that are bordering the Sahara, you give them the fuel that they need so that they don't have to cut the trees down. Then you plant the trees and push Back, you know, push the Sahara back. The more trees you have, the more CO2 is, re- re- is released. You have, you know, boom, there it is. <laughs> are you kidding? So why should we all, why are we all cowering underneath our desks at work, worried about what's going to happen when we could just do that and move on? We could just be happy. Well, I'll tell you why. Because liberals, they don't want to be happy. They're not happy, and they want everyone else to be as miserable as they are. Bam, bam, boom, right? So, um, in 1989, William H. Mansfield III is the deputy executive director of the United Nations Environmental Program. Wrote, "Quote: The global warming may be the greatest challenge facing humankind. Any temperature, any change of temperature, rainfall, and sea level of the magnitude now anticipated will be destructive to our natural systems like." Plant life. In reality, a 2016 paper in the Journal of Nature Climate Change examined three long term satellite data sets and found a persistent and widespread increase in greening or plant growth over 25 to 50 percent of the global vegetated area from 1982 to 2014, whereas less than 4 percent of the globe had less greening over the same period. So these findings support an updated 2003 paper in the journal Science, which found that a principal measure of worldwide vegetation productivity increased by 6.2% between 1982 and 1989. The authors note that this occurred during a period in which human population increased by 37%, the level of atmospheric CO2 increased by 9%, and the Earth had two two of the warmest decades in the instrumental record. So we could go on. There's data and research here on how wrong they were about their predictions pertaining to forest and trees, extinctions, agriculture. There are even charts and graphs. You guys know I love a good chart and graph. Flooding, rainfall, hurricanes. This is a comprehensive report I'm reading to you. Human health, tipping points. So I'll just go down to the conclusion. And by the way, this is one of those ones where if you print it out, if you go to StaceyOnTheRight.com, Um, where this will be up live right after the show, and you click on it and print it off on your printer, go into the reader view, print it off, you know, front and back pages. It's something you could have your kids read after dinner tonight. You could read it. Your spouse could read it. And then you'd be fully equipped to debunk anyone who's literally hysterical about the possibility of the climate changing and doing something awful. Do you see what I'm saying to you right now? They're lying. They've admitted in their open plans. They didn't even hide their plans to dupe people into thinking that our planet is something horrible going on. They had no proof, but they said, you know, even, even our doubts, we don't want people to know about. We just want people to be concerned about the climate. And now that we're in the throes of a full on hysteria about climate, we're finding out that these people have been lying the whole time. So in an article, according to this article, um, in Time magazine Thunberg cited more than 30 years of scientific evidence showing the consequences of perpetually warming globe. Now that's a misleading description of her words. In reality, she merely claimed this was so without presenting any scientific evidence to support it. The wide array of environmental and human welfare indicators related to climate change have stayed level or improved for the past 30 years. In other words, human life, human welfare Environmental welfare, all of those areas are demonstrably and materially better now than they were back when she did her, you know, the, the start of this catastrophic period. So 30 years ago, over the past 30 years, things have improved dramatically, to put it simply. This includes, just in case you're wondering, because I listed this stuff off before. Measurable measurable positive outcomes of plants, forests, extinctions, agriculture, flooding, rainfall, hurricanes, and human health. True crystal clear science is at odds with Thunberg's beliefs. Now don't tell Time Magazine who just gave her the person of the year. They're doing that because they're politically motivated. So we have to go to genuine science. We have to be motivated by genuine science. When we're not motivated by that, we find ourselves in, in in just it's a it's a terrible place for us to be and i don't i don't want to for one second act as if we don't have like environmental concerns or that we don't we don't want to recycle or 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 do things to to keep the environment clean of course we want to do that but we don't want to have a hysteria going on like we do now where people think they're dying from climate change You're not dying from climate change. You might be dying from drinking too many uh, sodas, you know, too high of a sugar in your diet. Maybe you have, you're on the verge of getting diabetes or maybe you're overweight and you're trying to work it off. I mean, we all have these problems, right? That's no one's perfect. Everybody's got something they're working on, but you're not dying of the climate. If anything, we are blessed with a beautiful climate that it's changeable. That's why, you know, we can't predict it, but we're blessed and The other part about the climate that is honestly so wonderful is that as we have developed humanity technologically, we are less impacted by the negative aspects of the climate. So yes, hurricanes are still horrible, tornadoes still devastating and and bad, but we have early warning systems for both of those so that we can get out of the way of the harm. And we have insurance that we can utilize to repair damages done by these things, but the best part is that the less frightening parts of the climate, like extreme heat, extreme cold, our technology protects us from that, whether it's our heating and cooling systems or energy efficient buildings and, and you know, even the new clothing that's out there that you can purchase that it's thinner and more lightweight, but provides more protection from the elements. We I just come on, y'all. Things are great. <laughs> they really are. All right. So that's the show for today. Um, I want to say thanks again um, to those who have been heading on over to Stacyonthewright.com, the the newly revamped website, check it out, share the show from over there on your Facebook page, on your Twitter feed, in any large groups that you might be in on Facebook or uh, Instagram, wherever, just post those links all over the place. And let's see if we can get traffic running and having a great time. And, um, it's been a pleasure to be with you. You're going to have a show on Set tomorrow as well. And we're, it's going to be an interview with a Heritage Foundation fellow we'll have on the show at Life Set TV. And then we'll have the live stream here with more great content from yours truly.